0: You're listening to the Israel Sushi Podcast, where we give you an audio glimpse into Jewish life in the Holy Land and beyond, with your hosts, Sarai and Ben Carido. Sarai Carido is a communications and public relations professional and former radio personality and news media editor. She and her husband are Sephardi Jews now living in the land of Israel and are here to share with you their unique experiences and perspectives as they broadcast to you from Jerusalem. Welcome
1: back to the Israel Sushi Podcast, and today we're going to. Focus not so much on what's happening within the land of Israel, uh, but focus on something important that has been happening outside of uh, Israel in the diaspora, and namely focus on what happened recently at Congregation Beth Israel in Texas.
0: Absolutely. And giving a little bit of a recap for some of our listeners who might not be well-versed on the situation Uh, Essentially, there was a synagogue in uh, Texas, and in the middle of services, an individual uh, entered the synagogue and took the rabbi and several congregants hostage, and it was a 10-hour standoff. And the purpose or the intention of the hostage-taker, this terrorist, was his sister was a Pakistani Muslim terrorist who had been attacking, who had previously attacked American soldiers in Afghanistan and was virulently anti-Semitic and anti-Israel, and somehow her brother thought that he could take Jews and a synagogue hostage in order to secure her release because she's been convicted and imprisoned within the United States. So, yeah, how that was supposed to work, I don't even know, but... And so ultimately what happened is the hostage taker, after 10 hours, began to show signs of fatigue, and he was getting distracted, and the rabbi assaulted him with a chair. He threw a chair at him and was able to get the congregants to rush out. Meanwhile, the FBI hostage uh, search and rescue teams stormed in simultaneously, taking that opportunity, they shot and killed the terrorist hostage taker, and fortunately, a very, very harrowing 10-hour ordeal did have a happy ending, or at least the happiest ending that you could possibly have in that scenario. But that situation has really uh, brought a renewed focus on several aspects. First and foremost, the dangers of anti-Semitism and these types uh, these types of violent acts from radicals outside of Israel. And also we have issues inside of Israel uh, from being attacked by Radicals and terrorists, etc. But it brought the attention to what that looks like inside of a nation like the United States of America. And also, it's spurred some conversations about synagogue security and security for Jewish schools and communities and things of that nature. And it's also sparked some emotional responses, understandably. And uh, my wife Sarai recently uh, wrote a blog piece discussing that a little bit that I think is really, really powerful. And I wrote some kind of analytical uh, pieces about how to improve Jewish community security and really any community security. So back to you, sorry.
1: Yeah, no. And, and I think one thing, um, backing up some, you know, this conversation obviously, uh, has been happening for a long time, but particularly after what happened in May of last year with the, uh, rockets being launched from Gaza, Israeli civilians and the uh, operation Guardian of the Walls that took place to defend Israel after uh, all of that kind of really sparked a lot of conversation on social media and online and has really what happened last year in May has really caused the flames of anti-semitism within the United States to really catch and spread and in the United States since May of 2021, there has been a 115% increase in anti Semitism. Insane. Insane.
0: Yes. And again, it can't be understated how dangerous and crazy that type of uptick, statistically, what that means. That may sound like numbers, but that's an extremely dangerous phenomenon for Jews all over the world, but especially in the United States.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think this is one of those things. The hostage taker in this situation, his whole motivation was, like like you were saying, Ben, to, you know, put pressure to have his sister freed. And the way that he, the way in his mind that he sought to do that was to have the rabbi of Beth Israel contact another rabbi in New York to use their Jewish powers to influence the government and free this terrorist. And, first of all, that's insane, But second of all, that is an anti-Semitic trope that has been spread for years, that Jews hold power to things and influence things. And it's an anti-Semitic trope that has absolutely seen an uptick in the last eight months.
0: No, absolutely. And I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Perfect. Absolutely. And to be clear, what Soraya is referring to is there's an anti-Semitic trope that even the Nazis really emphasized that... Jews and Zionists have their have our fingers all over the place and we control the world, we control the media, we control the government, etc. And I think the point that Sarai is making that is so really, really crazy about this scenario that just happened in Texas is that um, this really this terrorist family was so convinced of that that they literally bet their entire lives that that was true, as ridiculous as it is, to the point that he really got himself in a bind, if you will, when he sat there holding a gun to this poor rabbi's head in Texas, saying, okay, we know you have these magical jewish Zionist connections to control the world, make it happen. And this poor rabbi is sitting there like, I I don't know what to tell you, I do not have any magical connections to uh, control the world or control the United States.
1: You're absolutely right. And this is a conversation that's been happening uh, online. There's been a huge uptick in anti-Semitic language and rhetoric online, Twitter specifically. Um, you know, Holocaust has trended. You know, Hitler was right has trended. I mean, all of these terrible, terrible anti-Semitic things have trended on Twitter. And I guess my my biggest point in what I wrote and really what I want to talk about is you know, we look back at the German people in the 1930s and we look back at the people that helped the Jewish people escape from the Nazis or who hid the Jews or who, you know, assisted in some way. And we are so grateful to them. We, you know, we highlight those stories because they're incredibly important stories. And those people were vital in saving Jewish lives. Absolutely. And I look around now and I think, would we have the same response? in 2021, 2022, would we have the same support? And I honestly don't know because there are people that I consider to be very, very close friends that I thought supported the Jewish community and supported Jews' right to return to Israel as our homeland. And in the last eight months, I have seen those people that I thought were my friends and who I thought supported Jews absolutely not support the Jewish people at all. Not only absolutely not support them, but minimize what Jews and Jewish communities are going through and I know I'm not alone in that I see it all the time on social media there are so many um so many Jews saying no I've lost friends I've lost family members there are people that I thought were going to be in my life forever that now I can't I can't have in my life anymore because they don't they they spread anti-semitism and I see people around me stand up for every other minority and stand up for every other group of people that they feel have been oppressed. And when it comes to Jews and Judaism, we literally have Jews being drugged by cars. We have Jews being chased down in New York. We have, I mean, the situation in Texas recently. And... I'm not seeing a word. I'm not seeing one word. Nobody's changing their profile picture. Nobody's holding a rally. Nobody's fundraising. Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's even contacting me or their Jewish friend and saying, hey, this is a really terrible thing. What can I do to help? What can we do to be supportive? Nobody's saying that. And that's what I think is te- its a terrifying reality, especially for Jews in the United States. Because outside of Israel, the United States has been the safest place for Jews. Uh, for a very long time and unfortunately now we've gotten to a point where I don't think that that's the case
0: anymore. 100% and I have similar thoughts and sentiments and uh, kind of the way that I would say it is the hypocritical deafening silence that people like myself and my wife encounter from people that we thought were not just allies but even close friends That hypocritical deafening silence is extremely concerning, and it's clear that preconceived ideas and political agendas are shaping the common response in America, and even beyond, but especially in America, to full-on anti-Semitic atrocity. And that's extremely, extremely concerning.
1: Absolutely. No, absolutely. So... I think it's a conversation that needs to continue to be had. I think that Jews all over the world need to, and I see it all the time on social media, and I think it's incredible, and I think that it is a job that can never be done enough, but I think that Jews all over the world need to speak up and speak out and be proudly Jewish, and not hide their Jewish identity. Uh, You know, for the, like, I know people for the first time who had to hide, take their yarmulkes off in New York. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous nonsense. It should never be happening. And I think that we should proudly stand up and support each other and support uh, our Jewish state and just be fiercely proud to be to be Jewish. So I think it's a conversation that conversation, as much as we can't stop people from being anti-Semites. We can spread light in our communities and we can be fierce supporters of Israel. And fiercely proud of our Jewish identities.
0: Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why uh, we chose to use this topic for Israel Sushi. Because that's a big part of the purpose and the value and what's so important about the modern state of Israel. Besides the fact, the all-important fact, that the land of Israel is the biblical homeland of the Jewish people, the Jewish people have learned from thousands of years of persecution, and especially with the Nazi Holocaust, that there is no way for us to guarantee our safety unless we are living together in a Jewish state in the land of Israel. And the United States of America is an amazing nation and one of the greatest, if not the greatest uh, nations the world has ever seen, absolutely. But there is no guarantee that there will never be anti-semitism in America. And even if it's not state-sponsored, just what we're seeing now is a very, very real problem. And That brings us back to the importance of the land of Israel and why every Jewish family really should very carefully analyze if moving to Israel is the right decision for them. From an idealistic perspective, we should all be here. That's not always possible. I get that. There's other considerations with family and everything else. But I really, really believe that every Jewish person should at the very least have a strong connection to the land of Israel. And I really, really think that every Jewish family should consider making Aliyah and moving to the land of Israel. I think that they should consider that very, very carefully and perhaps more than they would otherwise.
1: I absolutely agree with you.
0: So we're going to wrap it up in a few minutes, but I did want to talk a little bit about uh, synagogue and school security and security for the Jewish community. First and foremost, for those who are not familiar with my background, I am a veteran of the Israel Defense Force as well as a current reservist in a special forces capacity. I'm also a a former security and defense consultant, and although I don't do that anymore at this present moment, for well over a decade, I specialized in providing security services to Jewish nonprofits, synagogue schools, etc., really on a national level. So I've seen a few things in my experience, and I have some internal expertise and some guidelines. I wrote a pretty, a relatively lengthy document on some best practices for synagogue and school security and otherwise security for the Jewish community. That can be found at lehevdil.com, L-E-H-A-V-D-I-L.com. But in the meantime, let me give you a quick rundown of some of the ideas presented in that. So ultimately, every security program that you're going to have for any nonprofit or, or anything, anything in the Jewish community or otherwise. and This applies also uh, for maybe a, a church or any other place of worship or school anything. But you're going to have more of your defensive approach and you're going to have more of your offensive approach. Your defensive approach has to do with facility hardening. Now that's a fancy term for making your facility harder to get into. So for example, if you have a school, uh, it's best to have as many fences, et cetera, as possible, have gates. If it's an old building, like an old synagogue, repair those, uh, repair or replace those flimsy doors and the flimsy locks, have a good intercom system that you can buzz people in, uh, et cetera. So that's the first layer to it. The second layer is it's really, really important to establish security protocols among the staff of your organization. What do I mean by that? It means that you have to have rules and procedures to be followed for security, and everyone has to understand how important that is and follow them at all times. I'll give you an example. I consulted for a Jewish school that spent well over $25,000 installing a really high-end intercom system and door buzzing system with magnetic locks and uh, remote fobs, and you know, the whole the whole works. Well, they complained that a few weeks after they insta- installed all of this, an unwanted individual was able to get into the school. Well, so when I looked into trying to figure out what happened, I realized that the school staff admitted that they felt that buzzing people in and screening them through the intercom system was a hassle, so they were literally propping the door open all day with a brick. Well, guess what? The best security system in the world doesn't work if you literally bypass it or turn it off or whatever you don't turn an alarm on, it doesn't matter that it's installed. So that may sound obvious, but you'd be surprised how many people don't think in these terms, or they emphasize convenience to the point of diminishing the security of your facility. So having those internal security protocols is extremely, extremely important. Another really, really good and effective and very, very inexpensive method of increasing the security of your facility, your school, your synagogue, whatever it may be, is to reach out to your local law enforcement and to figure out ways to establish a community relationship. So what do I mean by that? In most communities, especially urban areas, you have police officers and uh, police presence patrolling back and forth all throughout the area. And a lot of times they'll literally be driving past your facility with an invitation they are usually more than happy to spend a little bit of extra time at your facility, especially if they have a little bit of downtime or between calls to wait in your parking lot, etc. With with an invitation like that, there is a high likelihood that they will spend a significant amount of time at your facility. If it's a synagogue, they might even stop by in Shabbat, etc. To be clear, don't count on that as a substitute for armed security guards if that's a decision that you want to make but if someone who is a threat is eyeing your facility and they see that the police frequently check in, especially when there's people there such as Shabbat or uh, an evening Torah study class or a women's breakfast event or whatever it may be, that can be a huge, huge, huge deterrent that costs little to nothing. Also, if you really want to ensure that the police officers come by, uh, offer them some uh, food or refreshments like you might have for your Shabbat meal, your kiddush, that kind of thing can go a long way.
1: Make them feel welcomed.
0: Ma- yeah, yeah. Ma- make them feel welcomed and uh, make them feel like this is a, I don't want to say necessarily like a hangout, so to speak, but if it's a place where they feel like not only are they not intrusive, but they're actually welcomed and it's mutually beneficial, then you might be able to get a large amount of police, positive police activity at your facility, which is probably the best deterrent you could possibly have. And again, most of these police officers are patrolling the area anyway, so for them it's not even an inconvenience. And then finally uh, is the issue of armed security. Now that's a loaded topic with a lot of political ramifications and a lot of strong feelings within the community, both for and against. I don't want to get into that, but it's something that should be considered carefully and objectively by every community to see if it is the right decision for their school, synagogue, or whatever the facility might be. My one comment that I will make is that if a jewish community center does decide to move forward with armed security it should either be a very competent hired security company or it should be the most competent responsible mature and trained individual possible within the community you don't want to give it to some wannabe hero cowboy types that sometimes exist in a lot of our communities you don't want that so if you are going to do the armed security it should be a hired professional company or the most mature and trained individual. Uh, Maybe if you have a former IDF veteran who goes to the synagogue, maybe you have an army chaplain or some kind of army veteran or a retired police officer, something of that nature uh, is your best bet. I go into this a lot more detail in uh, the piece I wrote. And again, it's available on lehevdil.com. But that gives you a little bit of a snapshot of what we're talking about.
1: And if you're listening, if you found the uh, podcast on Facebook, we'll link the document in the comments of the podcast on Facebook. So it's easy to get to. Um, So, yeah, no, I think that's all incredibly important information. And unfortunately, I think this is a conversation we're going to be having for (laughs) at least the considerable future. But I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You can find more about the Israel Sushi Podcast on our website, lehavdil.com. Also follow us on both Facebook and Instagram. And let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear uh, from you about your thoughts on Israel Sushi. and If there's topics that you think would be of interest to cover, please be sure to let us know.
0: You've been listening to the Israel Sushi Podcast with Sorayan Benquerido. For more great content and podcast episodes, visit lehevdil.com or find us on social media.